Hi, my name is Saul and this is the Story of London podcast. My probably insane attempt to tell the entire chronicle of London in one big long narrative tale. In the last part, I went over the formation of the market town of Ludenwick, the Saxon established trade town located one mile west of the old remains of the Roman settlement of Londinium. I described how it was in its first few decades quickly establishing itself as a centre of local and not-so-local trade. But in this part, I hope to briefly describe how London was to cease being just a Saxon settlement, but how it came under the influence of one of the more powerful states on the island at the time. It's time to look specifically at the events from the 620s until the year 666, as we get to the story of London, Chapter 4, The Mercian Takeover. To begin our story, to give it the justice and context it needs, I am afraid I must shift our attention for a short while northwards of our central character to discuss the land that was to be the first legitimate claimant upon London. Mercia was always a tad different from its surrounding Germanic polities. In time, it would cover quite a large area, which appears to have been a mixture of many tribes and many peoples. There were significant number of Britons living within its endlessly moving borders. And as well as that, it also saw differing tribes of the foreign newcomers be integrated into its ranks. This wasn't a realm built out of conquest, it seems. More compromise and gradual assimilation. It first appears in 604, and you get the distinct impression of a peoples who found their strength in their diversity. They were survivors, it seems, back in the earliest days, and yet dominated by both Wessex in the south and, above all, Northumbria to the north. To understand how this group of people ended up taking over Ludenwick, we have to, I'm afraid, look at how they went from this weak position to a position of strength. How they became, in the space of just 40 years, the nation who would define what London was to become. This story then begins with the tale of a great warrior, a true English legend. In an era of remarkable individuals, he stands out. For me, he is far more impressive than any mythical King Arthur type. I talk of a man known to us now as King Pender the Strong. Alas, we know less about him than we would like, as his contemporary biographers were either from Wessex, and he screwed with the people from Wessex, or from Northumbria, and he screwed with the people from Northumbria. But even allowing for their claims that he was this terrible pagan who waged war on good, clean-living Christians, what we do see is a man who utterly changed the course of British history, and was arguably one of the greatest battlefield generals to ever emerge on this island. 
The Mercian heartland is located in what we today call the Midlands of England, the area around the rivers Trent and Severn. This region is surrounded on all sides by potential enemies. To the north was Northumbria itself, overlords over the region when this story begins, under the rule of the mighty High King, or Bretwalde, a man called Edwin. To the east were their fellow Angles, the kingdoms of Lindsay and East Anglia, rivals. To the south, the Saxon kingdoms of Essex, Wessex and Sussex, with Kent beyond them, and to the west was the fractious and fiercely independent nations of the Welsh. It would have to take a formidable general of some skill to be able to carve out a large territory under those potentially hazardous conditions. And they would also have to be an excellent administrator and dynast to make that territory stick. Pender seems to have been both. His story is exceptional and bloody. He seems to have been a joint king, or more likely a sub-king of the Mercian people.